0: Life is too short to work at a crappy company. That's why Software Engineering Daily is proud to be sponsored by Hired.com, the job marketplace for software engineers. If you accept a job through Hired, they will give you a $2,000 bonus. But as an extra bonus to our listeners, you can get an additional $2,000, that's $4,000 total, if you sign up by going to SoftwareEngineeringDaily.com and using the link on the right side of the page to sign up. Hired.com will set you up with five great companies for interviews. These are companies like Stripe, Facebook, Uber, companies you would actually want to work for, where you can go and learn the cutting edge of software engineering. Go to softwareengineeringdaily.com, click on the banner on the right, and try out hire.com. I'm joined by Pranay Mohan, the producer of Software Engineering Daily, who operates behind the scenes. I'm the voice of Software Engineering Daily, but Pranay is the soul of the show, and he's been invaluable to our success. Without Pranay, I would be staying up a lot later every day and churning out content that would be of lower value. Pranay, welcome to Software Engineering Daily.
1: Thanks, Jeff. That's a pretty flattering intro. Happy to be here.
0: Great. So, this conversation is an opportunity for us to explain our vision for Software Engineering Daily to the listeners. Pranay, what do you see as the goal of Software Engineering Daily?
1: Uh, that's a huge question right off the bat. Um, well, I think Software Engineering Daily is really an opportunity for developers to get up to date, current information on technical engineering topics in a format that they're not conventionally used to. So, like um, when I go on Hacker News or um, any other website online, I'm, I'm usually digesting my engineering information and news in in written format. Sometimes in video when I'm looking at conference uh, talks and lectures. But rarely do I get to listen to engineering topics just in audio. And I think podcasting is a great opportunity to kind of get into developers' ears every day, maybe on your commute, maybe when you're at the gym. So I think it it reflects one angle of uh, software education or information that hasn't been covered by other outlets.
0: And this show is generally focused on software engineering and not entrepreneurship. We discussed this very early on that we wanted it to focus on... We actually
1: created the first law of SC Daily, which would be that we would not uh, devolve or I guess fall into the trap of becoming an entrepreneurship podcast.
0: Right. But since this is episode 100, we get to break some of the rules. So we should talk about the business. Do you think of us as a podcast or a media company or a technology company or what exactly?
1: I don't know if we figure that out ourselves <laughs> yet. So I think we're still in the process of discovering what we are. But I think for now, we found that our bread and butter is this podcast because um, to, to brag, I think you do a great job at it. And I think we've kind of we've got. A couple dedicated listeners that really love what we do. So I don't see us straying away from this. But I certainly think there are opportunities to do things that may be adjacent to uh, podcasting.
0: So if we are a media company, I feel like there are several different ways that we could evolve. We could adopt a vice news type of ethos where we cover like controversial aspects of technology. You could think of like uh, ad tech or you know, the software behind GMOs. Uh, These are, like, controversial, interesting aspects that people would want to hear about, delved into from a software, highly technical perspective. But we can also be, like, an ESPN, where it's, you know, highly produced. Like, Grantland, right.
1: ESPN or... uh, Didn't Grantland go under, though? I think that had more to do with
0: the politics
1: uh, between Bill Simmons and ESPN. So I don't know if that's a reflection on their business.
0: Okay, right. Well, so... In any case, I mean, if if we are a media channel, what do you think is the right ethos?
1: What do you mean by ethos?
0: So, like, what uh, what type of content should we be focusing on? I mean, should we should should our north star continue to be like this highly technical, like discussing React, discussing streaming frameworks, discussing different databases and trade offs, or should we? should we be focused more on the top level, like the the business level uh, components of software, like somewhere between the highly technical software podcast and the entrepreneurship or business podcasts?
1: Well, I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. Um, I think our North Star first and foremost is to be honest. Um, I think especially with how hot the tech scene is right now, uh, we were just talking about how many new Apache frameworks for big data come out every day. Today, I just read something about Apache Geode. So there's a lot of new stuff coming out. And as a, a practitioner, a craftsman of software, it's tough to know what's hype and what's real. And I think what what I would like to do as part of this is try and be the compass for developers to be able to listen and say, hey, these guys are kind of dissecting the field of software in a way that we know is is, uh, has integrity, is transparent, and they have the developer's best interests at heart instead of just trying to like hype up a product and sell it.
0: And In terms of our own business, there's, there's a Silicon Valley narrative against the idea of lifestyle businesses. And so lifestyle business is this derogatory term that's often used to describe uh, small businesses that generate steady revenue but are not plausible as billion-dollar companies do you think that by virtue of like our current size, does that make us insignificant, like our current size, our current revenue, uh, you know, our current local maxima prospects, are we an insignificant institution?
1: Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um, so I, I remember we, we talked recently about this article that uh, DHH uh, David our H- Hansen Hansen who created Ruby on Rails he he wrote an article about uh, the the kind of again the hype cycle or the uh constant urge to become like a venture capital business that you see in in the in the entrepreneurship landscape and that's again kind of like a a false dichotomy it's not like you're either a real business when you get venture funding or you're not a business at all and I think the the term lifestyle business is kind of derogatory it's kind of like it's just these two guys with mics and they're sitting in their living rooms making a podcast. (laughs) That might be true, but... (laughs) It literally is true right now. (laughs) Yeah, right now it is. But I think, I I like the idea of a cash flow business. So I think getting back to the roots of what a business is, a business's goal is to make money. It's to make a good product, make money, and then uh, sustain the business with the money they get from their users or their clients. So... I I like that definition of a cash flow business because that's what we want to do. We want to put out a good product, get cash flow. And then from there, I think we're both interested in reinvesting that cash and growing something. So it's not like you have to choose right now whether we're going to be this forever doomed lifestyle business sitting on our couches or we're going to become this rock star unicorn. And um, we can do both. And I, I think it's a process of just figuring out, like I said, staying true to what we believe in, having integrity and seeing where... Uh, the future takes us
0: when i started this podcast i was operating completely alone and i was doing all the work the preparatory work the editing work um and you can certainly hear the negative consequences of that in the early episodes there were certainly some audio glitches um and i like one example is i would record I showed up at the Cloudera offices with a single mic and recorded an, a podcast with Eli Collins with one mic. And that's why the audio quality on that is so terrible. Um, if if Eli Collins or anyone from Cloudera is listening, I apologize. Um, but like that was just something I didn't know. And uh, there are, there were other things that I wasn't able to support and think about until Pernay joined. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. I'm sure there are some listeners who are curious about Uh, the origin story of this podcast. Um, Why did you join me? And what were the circumstances around that?
1: Sure. Uh, First of all, I got to let the listeners know now we have two mics. So (laughs) (laughs) we definitely upgraded. So I guess the origin story is that... um, So so a little bit of background for people who don't know. Jeff and I met when we were kids in Austin. So we both grew up in Austin, Texas. And we used to play this card game called Magic the Gathering uh, in this venue. Uh, shout out to Pat's Games. And we had kept in touch throughout. And um, Jeff had reached out to me because I had been helping with a company called Hack Hands. And um, Hack Hands uh, was a company that was uh, whose CEO is my good friend and mentor, Ed Roman. And he had reached out to me when I moved to San Francisco and I started helping out the company a little bit on the side. And uh, Hack Hands recently uh, got acquired by Pluralsight. And I was. Uh, trying to figure out what did I want to do next. And um, I, I always had this feeling that I want to start my own company. I want to be an entrepreneur. And um, when when you reached out to me, Jeff, you mentioned that you were doing a daily software podcast. And I was like, what the hell is this guy thinking? It's, that sounds absolutely crazy. But um, so I didn't initially join off the bat. I think you had started working on it a little bit. Um, but I, I kept listening to your podcast and I was following what you were doing. And one day you had released the Matei Zaharia interview with Apache on Apache Spark. And that was a subject I'd been reading about a lot. And I wanted to learn more about Spark. So I listened to the podcast and I, I absolutely loved it. Like I was on a lunch break and I just l- powered through it in an hour. And I was like, this is really awesome. Like I went from knowing nothing about Spark to within an hour, having a really good grasp of what Spark was, why it was necessary for this data engineering ecosystem, and the fact that you could get an awesome uh, developer like Matei and uh, talk to him and dig out some really cool secrets, like not really secrets, but I guess ideas on Spark, I was convinced that this was something that was lacking. So um, at that point, I reached out to you and uh, started helping out a little bit, and it's kind of been natural. It's been organic. And now I'm at the point where I'm helping produce and put out a, a daily episode. And it's been a lot
0: of fun. Tell the listeners a bit about your background. What did you study?
1: Uh, sure. So I actually have an atypical background. I studied chemical engineering in college. And um, I really didn't know why I studied chemical engineering. I'd always loved chemistry um, during high school as a kid. I think it comes from this idea that you can take completely disparate elements and somehow fuse or combine them into a completely new product or molecule. And I just assumed that, okay, cool, chemistry is cool, engineering sounds cool, boom, chemical engineering, it'll be a fun topic. Um, but after I went into college and started learning more about it, I realized this was more of like a... Um, it was, it was less than what I imagined and more of a path for me to get like a stable job in the oil and gas industry. Uh, we both went to school in University of Texas. And for anybody who doesn't know, Texas is a huge uh, oil state. So I think a lot of the curriculum there was geared towards getting you to join the chemicals or petroleum industry. And I, I did a internship and I had worked in it for a little bit. And I realized that it wasn't for me. I didn't want to just get a job as a process engineer and then have a family and settle down. And I'm not knocking that lifestyle at all, but I realized that for me, the the goal was to create something from the very beginning. So that's what kind of compelled me to start learning how to uh, develop, how to program. Um, after I graduated from school, I took some time off and learned Android development, worked at a startup in Austin doing that. And... Um, due to some per- personal circumstances, I decided to leave Austin and move back to San Francisco. And now that uh, I'm in the Bay, I've had a lot more exposure and kind of ability to meet with people and really be inspired by the tech scene out here.
0: Mm.
1: So that's kind of the the short story of the long process.
0: Yeah, so speaking of that somewhat, I mean, it sounds like you have a somewhat soured college experience. I don't want to put too many words in your mouth. Oh, no, we're going here. (laughs) We're going here. I want to go here. So, you know, for listeners who don't know, like, you know, I in several episodes, I've mentioned kind of my own criticisms of college, um, particularly through the lens of coding boot camps, which I feel are much more efficient with or can be much more efficient with How they allocate students' time. So, Pranay and I have this ongoing debate about college versus coding boot camps, also.
1: Every week we talk about
0: this. Yeah, we talk about it all the time. So, Pranay, what is your perspective on the boot camp versus college debate? How does your own college experience factor into that? Also, what am I wrong about? What are the things that you persistently don't? agree with me on?
1: I, first of all, I don't think you're wrong. I I, I think you uh, go by that, what is that uh, motto that you go by? Strong opinions held weekly. So I, I think that's more reflective of how you feel about this in that uh, college may be somewhat of a overhyped, overpromised, under-delivering Sort of institution, and I can see where you're coming from. I definitely did not have the most optimal experience in college. Um, I think for me, it had more to do with the discovery rather than the experience, because I, as a 17-year-old, you don't really know what you want to do, um, and and you're fortunate enough to go to college, and and that's that's already an incredible experience. So it's it's kind of tough to really look four years ahead and project into this is the type of person I want to become. So in that respect, I agree with you that college may not be fully thought out and that we could do better about um, getting students to be more cognizant of what they're signing up for. But I think the issue I have with the framing the discussion as coding bootcamps versus college is making that, again, like a black and white, mutually exclusive issue. Um, I I respect coding bootcamps. I think they serve a huge purpose in the marketplace But I I draw them more akin to trade schools um, that I think they're for people who have studied something, who have gone into the workforce, realize that that's not exactly what they want to do and they want to pivot or change their career into uh, software engineering. And for that, it can be a super valuable tool. But my issue is I don't want to convince a 16 or 17 year old who really doesn't know much about life, hasn't had a tremendous amount of life experience to give up on the on the truly valuable, holistic nature of college to go through a 13-week coding bootcamp. I think you learn a lot about yourself in college uh, from the fluffy side of things, of how to meet people, how to build friendships, relationships, to also taking classes that may not be may not uh, directly lead to a job. So one issue I take with the way you've sometimes brought it up is... Um, Talking about how some college classes, like you probably took some like discrete mathematics courses that probably you don't even ever use in, in your engineering jobs. But but I, d- I think sometimes learning is not a one-to-one directly beneficial proposition. I think sometimes you can learn something, uh, have it somewhere deeply stored in your brain, and then synthesize it with some other concepts you know to really come up with a unique novel solution in the future. And a lot of us can't predict when that'll happen. So from that sense, I think the sort of breadth over depth that even Seth Godin brought up recently that when he went to college, he he literally took as many different courses and got as much breadth as possible. I think that's a really important part of college and that coding boot camps are not necessarily incentivized to do.
0: Are we going to see an increased gradient between like, okay, so college is like maximal breadth with with a good amount of depth because it's over the course of 4 years. Right. Coding boot camp is maximum depth, um, somewhat minimal breadth because it's all you can cover in 12 weeks. There's definitely a gradient between those. Like there's got to be some massive, you know, maybe a 1 year thing, a 2 year 2 year, not it's not a boot camp, but it's like a 2 year institution do you think we're going to have, like, an increasing gradient of these kinds of things?
1: I'd hope so. I think that makes a lot of sense. There's nothing that says college needs to be four years. Like, I don't know who came up with that timeline. I don't know if it's optimal. So I think there's, with as with everything, there's definitely a need to experiment and figure out, um, do some people need two-year degrees? And I think... That's become a lot more accepted. I think community colleges and trade schools were once kind of knocked for their inferior education. But now that there's this kind of college loan bubble, more people are accepting the idea that, hey, community college is a good first step out of high school when you don't know what you want to do. The tuition is cheaper. The education is very solid. And you can really try things out and then figure out, Okay, I want to invest four years and become a a software engineer or a chemical engineer. So, I think we will see more of that and i'm I'm happy because then uh we'll have less people burned like you or i i were um by the by the traditional rigid four year college degree process
0: okay, so different topic we've started to build a fairly strong community around software engineering daily. we've got uh you know slack channel um
1: do you want to do shout outs to food- our To our power users.
0: Sure, I mean, shout out to shout out to NameNode, shout out to shout out to Shrinify, um, to Ivan. Ivan. Um, There are a couple
1: others, and I don't want to miss you guys. You guys have all been super awesome.
0: Yes. So yeah, I mean, let's like the 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 Slack channel. By the way, for any listeners who are curious about joining, like it's pretty fun conversation, like, throughout the day. Kind of, like, it harkens back to IRC. I don't know if you were ever in an IRC room, but um, just while we're on the topic of this community thing, like, I th- I feel like community is tightly coupled to growth. Um, and, Pranay, what do you see as the biggest problems between growing our community and growing more broadly?
1: Mm, um I, I, what do you mean by growing more
0: like growing like growth oh. like getting more listeners getting more awareness you know there are there are podcasts like serial right or even mm-hmm. like a sixteen z you know a sixteen z every every person who listens to a podcast and is a tech person knows about the a sixteen z podcast uh what is between us what is between like what is keeping software engineering daily from being a go-to podcast for software engineers that every software engineer who listens to podcasts knows about?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Serial um, is a great example because I, I remember reading or listening to some podcasts where they were saying that a lot of Serial's growth uh, had to do with uh, the Serial subreddit. So like, um, I don't think the team behind Serial ever had like a uh, concerted effort to grow a community. I think it just organically started on Reddit because it was such an awesome show And I haven't listened to Serial, so I can't speak to it directly. But um, I do understand the value of community. And recently, uh, Product Hunt pushed out a podcast channel to kind of gain uh, or grow more of that community approach to podcast. And uh, Ryan Hoover mentioned that the community is really important because you can get a pulse on what shows people are listening to. Because if you're just a podcast and you don't have a community and you're just cranking out episodes, it's, it's like a black box yeah, you're making content, which good on you, that's step one, but you gotta iterate on that content and know which is what what shows are sticking, what shows are flopping, and what does your audience want? It's just like building anything else. And um, you gotta get uh, feedback from your users before you know um, before you know what's gonna stick. And uh, I think to answer your question about what is stopping us from growing, is probably that podcasting is just such an unexplored medium. It's kind of in this uh, nebulous territory of like, is audio really going to be the future? I mean, we have so much new technology coming out in, in video, in uh, VR, AR, so it's like it's it's kind of like this anachronistic media <laughs> to be just listening to something, but in a way it's it's even more endearing because you don't your attention is not divided. You can be doing something else and you can still get really close to someone, uh, someone's thoughts. So video is in somebody's eye, podcasting is somebody is in somebody's ear or or even their brain. So I think it's it's part of is this medium going to grow, which will uh, dictate our trajectory, and also. Uh, again, can we put out content that listeners like? I think it's an ongoing discussion between us as to figure out, do our listeners really like the super technical episodes that we put out or do they like the more uh, slice-of-life, culture-type episodes that border on the entrepreneurship topic?
0: Yeah. Yeah, which, uh, I I mean, certainly this episode will fall would fall into the latter camp. Um, have you learned... I mean, so you're not... Historic. I mean, your historical work has not been as a software engineer. You're a chemical chemical engineer. Um, you've worked at some software companies. Uh, how much have you learned about software from listening to the show and from producing the show? Can can somebody who is just kind of like a um, has a, just a little experience from the world of software listen to the show and really get meaningful content out of it?
1: Absolutely. Uh, To answer your first question, I've learned a ton. Um, So Jeff and I build outlines for most of the shows. Actually, almost every show we build an outline, uh, a a list of topics that we'd like to discuss with the guest. And um, that process has been really educational for me. Like, um, Like I mentioned in that Spark episode, I learned so much. And now when I'm trying to research on another topic, I really go in deep, listen to other podcasts, watch videos, read tutorials. And I think that's huge in accelerating my growth. And I think that should extend to listeners as well. Um, I remember when I first started listening to Software Engineering Daily, when you first started out, I read the About page, and you talked about how when you first listened to Software Engineering Radio in college, you'd only understand 5% of the show. But slowly, over time, as you kind of kept listening... Um, synthesize the different concepts. See, I think that's a huge point to what we were talking about earlier that uh, learning is not a direct linear process. So like you might have listened to a show in software engineering radio about uh, Hadoop and then the next day listen to something completely different about front-end JavaScript. And and the stuff you learn in the first episode will undoubtedly help you learn the second episode better too. So I think... Software is this really unique field that is growing so rapidly that people are almost forced to specialize into one subdomain. Like, are you a front-end engineer? Are you a big data engineer? Are you a data scientist? And that kind of stratification is good for your job and for your employers, but it's not necessarily good for you as an individual trying to grow in the field of software. So when you tune in and you listen to a show about uh, Back end server technology when you're a CSS guy, and you will undoubtedly learn a ton, and that will help you in your front end work. And I think, in that sense, um, it's been huge for me, and I hope the listeners feel the same way.
0: What's been your favorite episode?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I still really love the show with Brian Cantrell because there's that five minute discussion at the beginning about global warming, <laughs> and I just love that episode. Um, other than that, let me think. So I think we have like 90 plus episodes now, so there's really a lot to go through. Um, I don't know. I, I like that one a lot. Uh, I also really like Seth Godin's episode. I didn't like it at first because I was having a grumpy day, but I think a lot of what he said is really inspiring that we are, as engineers, as developers, we are artists, and it's our it's our job to become our own bosses and to figure out how we can sculpt our own future. Cause like anymore, nobody's going to sit there and tell you what to do. And if you really want to build and create, you have free reign. And I think that is the underpinning of everything we're doing, everything software engineering is about. So I really like that episode as well.
0: What have been our biggest mistakes Mm. in producing this podcast? Like what, you know, over the course of four months, we've, done a hundred episodes. We've connected with thousands of listeners, but we've definitely made some mistakes.
1: Totally. Um, I think we were really aggressive at first. We were trying to do seven episodes a week and, um, it was tough. Uh, I'm, I'm still every day amazed that, uh, you can record it on average in ep- five episodes a week. So I think we're still at like the scorching pace But I think we kind of had this mistake of trying to bite off more than we could chew. This extended to that fundamental questions, fundamental answers. Uh, For listeners who are new, uh, at the very beginning, we had this idea to put out a list of fundamental questions at the beginning of every week that would uh, kind of be the uh, North Star compass for every episode on the topic of that week. And then at the end of the week, we would listen to everything the guests had to say and create this set of fundamental answers that were like the heuristics for whatever that topic was. And I still love the idea of it, but it's just, it's tough. It's tough to like record the podcast, edit it, uh, publish it, and then listen to it again to glean the insights and digest it for the listener. So I think... I still think it's a great idea, but I think our biggest mistakes have been just being super aggressive. And uh, that's a good thing. I like that we set the goal really high, try and hit it. If we can't, we are modest and we do something that we can achieve. Um, But other than that, I don't know. What do you think?
0: Uh, I think our biggest mistake was... I mean, if in terms of strategic mistakes yeah the what you said about the fun fun doing fundamental questions and answers just doing written content at all was a distraction so far. I mean I want to do written content eventually, but we don't have like i think the main thing is we want to build the best software podcast mm-hmm. like we're software engineering podcast like we're that specific um because that in and of itself is an attainable goal um but, it, it, you know, we need to focus on that entirely before we kind of think about other new things. And when we still have, you know, some – we we still feel like we haven't captured the entire software podcasting market, software engineering podcasting market. Like if you're a software engineer and you don't listen to software engineering daily and you listen to podcasts.
1: Shame on you. No. Not <laughs> shame on you. Shame
0: on us. Oh, okay. okay. Basically, like we're doing something wrong. Um you know uh either we're not technical enough or the audio quality is not good enough or something is wrong like if if you're if you spend 8 hours of your day on on a particular domain software engineering and you listen to podcasts when you work out and yet you don't listen to this podcast that's totally dedicated to software engineering that's probably a bad sign for the software engineering podcast so in terms of uh in terms of strategic mistakes, we tried to focus on too many things in the beginning. We tried to focus on, our, on written content and audio content. We, should, we just should focus on audio content, which we're mostly doing now at this point. We're very focused on a podcast. In terms of tactical mistakes... We did a week of shows on React, and we followed that up with a show uh, with a week of shows on women in tech. There's nothing inherently wrong with that sequence of events, but we had spent a lot of time preparing for React week because um, we really wanted to get it right. And the number of listeners and the number of positive comments we got showed that the effort that we put into it really paid off. But we followed that up with a week of shows about women in tech when we did not do – a uh, an amount of research that was, uh, I- you know, equivalent to the amount we had done with React Week, and the Women in Tech set of issues ended up being just as complex and difficult to tackle as React Week. So we were kind of flippant there.
1: I don't. I don't know that that was um, that was an honest mistake. If anything, it wasn't uh, like something that we did wrong. I don't, uh, what I'm trying to say is that um, the, the topic for Women in Tech Week was, is is a morally tough area to tackle. It's a gray area. I don't think anybody tries to discriminate against women actively, maybe like a very, very tiny portion, but a lot of it has to do with ignorance and a lack of understanding. And that's a tough issue to cover compared to a topic like React, which is very much a, uh, a an issue you can research and know well. It's it's engineering and math versus a complex societal issue.
0: Well, but if I would have researched women in tech more, what I would have found is that the, the way to approach it, and you know, I've asked several people about this, like Tricia G. And um, some other women that I've had on the podcast. It, the way to approach it is two, it's twofold. First of all, you want to talk about their technology stuff first. You don't enter a conversation by saying, what do you think about women in tech? Because right. they don't want to just be pigeonholed as a tech- a woman technologist that talks about women in tech. They want to be a technologist that talks about their technology who happens to be a woman. Therefore, they can talk about women in tech as an afterthought. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that component of it that I uh, didn't – was not intuitive to me at the beginning and I, I learned over time. Mm-hmm. Um, that I might have learned that through research if I would have done more research beforehand and thought more about it. Instead, I just jumped into recording episodes and didn't think about that much. There's also the side that, you know, if you look at statistics uh, and anecdotes, the, the the tech scene for women looks can look really gloomy. It can look really, really awful. There's all these terrible anecdotes, all these terrible statistics. And initially, like, I wrote a, uh, you know, a, a, a post about women in tech, and I was like, this is a bleak issue, this is terrible, uh, you know, this is like, we need the equivalent of the civil rights movement. Um, suffrage. Or suffrage or something, and like, it is really bad, but the narrative that, the, that, that women that I was talking to want to, more, is not this thing that's shrouded in negativity. They want a positive um, a positive framing, like, yeah, this sucks, but like... Um, How else are you supposed
1: to look at a tough issue? Um, you have to be optimistic, and you have to think, as MLK said, like the moral uh, arc of justice bends towards truth. I may be butchering that quote, but I think it it reflects the fact that when you are tackling a tough issue, you have no choice but to kind of see it as an inevitable uh, future. Like you will have victory and righteousness will triumph. And again, I I don't think it was your fault. I think it was your intentions were correct. But I think empathy is harder to research than model view controller architectures. (sighs) So I don't necessarily blame you for getting the pulse wrong. And I think it was a good learning experience because... Even though our numbers may have been a little bit rocky that week, we still kind of came out of that week with a really good understanding of that this is a serious problem that women face in, uh, in this industry, but there is a lot of work being done. And uh, there are a lot of really courageous women that oftentimes when they go to conferences and they talk about the issue of women in tech, it's an opportunity cost where they're not talking about what they're working on. And that often gets them dinged in the audience as, oh, look, here's another woman coming to talk about this issue when she should be talking about this technical topic. And but that's their choice, and they're making that choice to uh, to voice this issue and to bring light to it. And I think all of this is kind of uh, cascading towards the right outcome. And it'll take time. It'll take time for the big industry giants to uh, to find. The, or equalize the numbers and to make things right. But I think it's nobody, nobody is fighting it in a truly negative way. I mean, would you, would you agree with that?
0: Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's spot on. Um, when we have a show that does really well, what do you think is the differentiator? What tends to make our successful shows successful?
1: Mm, I think community again is is big. Um, whenever there's a lot of uh, talk of it in our Slack forum, or sometimes I post it to Reddit, and uh, the post get a lot of, gets a lot of upvotes. That's a good indicator of that this topic is being received. Well.
0: Okay, but like the content, like I'm talking about uh, when we do an actual show.
1: Aside from all the business marketing tech.
0: Yeah, and it's popular what is, what are the, the hallmarks of a good show?
1: That's tough to say. Um, I think obviously, uh, a, a good guest, somebody who speaks really clearly and well, and, uh, is on a, is covering an interesting topic, but I think it's oftentimes when the topic is very relevant, like, um, for example, Functional Programming Week did really well, and I think that's because we're on this cusp of this functional renaissance where more people are rediscovering functional languages like Haskell, Erlang, um, and and that kind of relevancy is really important because that's what listeners want to hear about. They've been kind of noticing it pop up, and then we're just at the right place at the right time. Um I think also some topics you cover really well. I think on some days you do the show really well, and that often dictates how well the show does. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think it's easy for us to tell. We don't have good enough metrics to be able to know why a show was a dud or why a show did well.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, And with regard to the functional programming thing, what's interesting about functional programming, I was just at QCon, and when I was there, somebody made an interesting comment when I was eating lunch with them, they said, you know, we're finding with functional programming that the same lessons that apply in functional programming to the front end with stuff like Elm and React, you see that being increasingly important on the back end, even just in terms of, uh, like, the the big data stack. So, so you know, when you... Uh, when Neha Narkeed of Kafka was talking about plugging Apache Samza into uh, a Kafka um, a Kafka stream, you you think of your uh, your nodes in a Samza uh, directed acyclic graph as pure functions. Um, so you have a graph of of pure functional nodes. Um, so fu- it seems like functional programming is is definitely something that um, is is a is a growing theme. And if you're somebody like um, uh, like Joe Armstrong or Leonard Augustison who came on during Functional Programming Week, you would say that you know functional programming has always been the thing to pursue. But um, it seems like it's finally having its uh having its triumphant day um so if you were pranay if you were going to be a software engineer today like let's say in 3 months you were going to start looking for jobs and you were going to be a software engineer what what technologies would you focus on what would you what stack would you try to learn what subdomain would you try to market yourself as that's
1: a good question um I think you would first depend on what you're excited to work on. I think you should never uh, choose what you work on based on what's hot or what's trending, because that could that could make you really unhappy. To be honest, like uh, uh, part of the reason I decided to study chemical engineering was because I looked at the salaries for undergraduates in that field, and I was like, wow, hey, these are pretty great. And that turned out to be a terrible reason to choose a major. And I would caution anybody from just switching to software engineering because they're like, hey, this is a golden ticket to upper middle class. Um, I would want you to. I mean, obviously, if you want to do well for yourself, software engineering is a great choice. But I would caution you to kind of figure out what your underlying motivations are. Do you want to build do you like math? Do you like analytical work? Or do you want to be more of a business person? There are lots of avenues. But um, all that aside, if you were to ask me, like wh- I, I'm going to be a software engineer, and regardless of what I like, what are the best topics? Um, Front-end JavaScript is, is really, really good right now. JavaScript in general is uh, a good horse to ride. Um, it's eating web development, and I don't see... Because there's so much momentum and weight behind JavaScript, I don't see it being abandoned very soon. So there's that sense of stability and convergence around it. Uh, Node on the back end, uh, Angular and React on the front end. Um, Elm is cool. Elm compiles to JavaScript, which may be the evolution on React. I don't know enough about it to say if it is or if it's not. But I think all of those signs point to JS being um, a big player. Um, I'm personally excited about data engineering because there's a lot of talk about data science. What sort of insights we're going to extract from this deluge of data that's, um, being created by businesses and consumers, but there, there's not much talk about like, how is that data going to be processed? How is it going to be stored? How is it going to be, uh, presented for the data scientists to analyze and, um, I think that's a really cool field that just keeps evolving day by day. So I would want to learn about Apache Spark, about Kafka, as you mentioned, Flink. And um, I think that's a really cool topic to cover. Um, In terms of more kind of random fields, um, random fields, what did I get myself into? Um, Functional programming is really cool. I know there's like a subset of people. Like I thought that interview with... um, uh, on Jane Street was really cool mm-hmm. because i had not heard of OCaml. Yeah, and yeah i think that's a really cool language and it, it has a really core constituency of people that love it so functional programming again is a good topic yeah yeah what about you i'm i'm interested to hear because you've been interacting with all these guests
0: uh, um yeah yeah uh,
1: remember you said recently java on the back end and i, I kind of disagree with that i think java is
0: well, so you, I think you misunderstood what I was saying. So I was saying that Java is the most predominantly used legacy backend technology. And as Tricia G said, and I, I, by, pre, by most predominantly used, I'm not talking about lines of code. There's probably more lines of C++ code running than there are lines of Java code running. But in terms of engineers who are actively working and maintaining Old code, I would say probably it's Java. Java is the most uh, predominant, so there are the most jobs in Java. And um, but
1: framed from a new college grad or somebody just getting into oh, yeah. software engineering, would you tell them to learn Java? No,
0: no God, no, <laughs> no, God, no, no way.
1: What about for Android development?
0: Sure, yeah, for Android development, sure, but I wouldn't. Yeah, I
1: wouldn't enterprise Java is not very fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, the tr- for people who want to know more about you know, a good perspective on modern Java. Definitely listen to the Trisha G episode. She had a lot of good things to say about current modern Java. Um, my, when I think about Java, I just think of development that is not very fun. Um, I have not like I, I've developed a lot of Java applications and it has not been very fun. Um, I've developed several job, I've developed several JavaScript applications and several Ruby on rails applications. I've had a lot of fun with that meteor Meteor's is a lot of fun. Um, so fun is a very subjective metric um uh but yeah i mean uh yeah i I would tell people to learn to learn javascript certainly if if i was telling them the back end or and front end technology to learn yeah i would i would say javascript also um that's the technology i would go after and and um And React, like React is the, I think, I think a bet on React at this point, like from a developer standpoint, is like making a bet on iOS when the, right when the iPhone. Right. And it's
1: like making a bet on Apple. It's like making a bet on Facebook when you bet on React. Yeah. They've thrown so much weight behind React and React Native. I'm interested to see where that goes. Do you think React is going to be like an OS?
0: That's a leading question. Yeah, you you know I do. I do. I definitely do. I definitely. I think. I think there's going to be. I mean, it's not like React is going to be an operating system. I think that they'll like.
1: Is the is the ecosystem going to be really like?
0: Well, I think Facebook is building its own sandbox to play in because, you know, we saw with Facebook Home and Facebook uh, whatever their phone was called, the Facebook One or something. Um, FB One, I can't remember. Do you remember what that phone was called when they came out as the Facebook phone? Like, no. didn't sell any copies. Um, on fire. No, I mean, yeah, we could also talk about the the Amazon phone, but it's like this. It's it's like the same thing. Like w- when you try to build on the Android ecosystem, it's really dangerous. Uh, it's tough,
1: it's, and and Android is fragmented. From my experience uh, from working on Android, it's really tough to manage. You have all these different. Uh, screen sizes, these different hardware manufacturers, and it's really tough to get a consistent experience to the end user.
0: Yeah, and so um, you know, you see people like Xiaomi. Xiaomi, you know, forked forked Android. You see people like um, uh, what is it? What's that billion dollar company? the The billion dollar uh, Android fork. Um, uh, the name escapes me right now. Um, CyanogenMod. Cyanogen. You see CyanogenMod. But it's like, why would you build on Android? Why wouldn't you just make your own operating system? I think Facebook is just going to do that. They're going to make a JavaScript-based operating system. Um, Maybe WebAssembly speeds it up to what it to what it needs to be sped up to. Um, maybe some listener is going to tell me that's uh, a terrible hypothesis.
1: Anytime you make a prediction, you're opening yeah. a can of worms.
0: But, um, I mean, I just see JavaScript getting fast enough to build an entire operating system around. Like, if Java is fast enough to build an op- entire operating system around, why not JavaScript? So, um, yeah. And then Facebook would have its own sandbox to play in. And there is certainly a price point between the uh, extremely cheap android phones and the extremely expensive apple phones uh facebook has a great opportunity right now to insert itself between those two price points whereas right now xiaomi is trying to insert itself between those two price points and hit up developing markets and uh, i think facebook has a much stronger brand and a much stronger design sensibility uh than than xiaomi can can hope to achieve maybe that's a very western centric view but um Anyway, we got off on a pretty big tangent there. Um, yeah, so React. Big fan of React. Anyway, and I don't know if are there are any listeners that are like still with us cuz maybe they're just like why aren't you guys discussing software engineering? This is discussing software podcasting. We will be back to our regularly scheduled programming uh, you know, shortly, but I guess to to close off, I mean, Pranay, is there anything you'd like to ask me? about the show or are there any things you would like to tell our listeners? I mean, you, you're the producer of the show. I want to give you, I want this, this closing moment to, to be an opportunity for you to uh, exact your own verbal uh, affectation on the podcast. I know what
1: that means, man. (laughs)
0: Uh, No, I just,
1: a big thank you to everybody who listens. Um, This is really fun to work on and, uh, every time somebody emails us or tweets at us saying they've gotten some value, they've enjoyed it, and they're really uh, grateful for this, it makes us happy, it makes us motivated and want to keep working. So thank you to everybody that's been kind and said nice things. Uh, it means more than uh, you can imagine. But I don't know. I wish you had given me a heads up. I would have prepared like a bunch of questions. to <laughs> you. This is all like impromptu. And uh, uh, let me think about some questions I should ask you. What's been the most fun part about being the host of SC Daily? Uh,
0: Okay. The most fun part is the fact that I get to call up people that are experts in the field and learn from them Um, and like touch all these, get a feel for all these different technologies and have conversations about them. Like one of the things I didn't like about working uh, at jobs working at Amazon or all the previous jobs I've had before that. And this is not a knock on these companies. It's just that the set of technologies I got to work with is so small. And I would be like reading Hacker News or reading, you know, InfoQ or reading something about different technologies. And I'm like, I don't get to play with this. You know, I'm stuck on Java backend or stuck on Ruby on Rails. And I don't get to touch these things or talk about them. And... As, as the as the host of Software Engineering Daily, I can send an email to the creator of Haskell, the creator of Erlang, the creator of Apache Spark, um, Seth Godin. Like I can – I have an excuse to talk to these people and ask them my burning questions and get a feel for the platforms, the philosophies, the technologies, where they think the future is going and um, – and like that is just so fun for me. That is like such a treat, um, you know. I, I, I'm and it's it's a great educational process. I mean, I I I don't have as much time to write software right now as I do uh, or as I would like. But I know in the future I will be writing more software. I'm almost seeing this opportunity as like. A graduate school type of thing it's like a it's like a personal like a master's it's like a master's yeah it's like every day you i am challenged emailed
1: us that somebody in an email that's, said that's something true. like um this is like being in a graduate class and just talking to your friends about the topics you're learning about yeah and that was the coolest compliment
0: yeah definitely yeah and, and um and i feel like i have a front row seat to that i'm like front of the classroom
1: man i'm jealous i feel like i should take over now. <sighs>
0: Well, I mean, for the the record, i offered you, you know, you can host. Um, Great. Well, um, listeners, thank you for staying with us through this rambling, ambling episode. Um, And as always, if you have any feedback, um, if you like this episode, if you don't like this episode, hit us up on Twitter or Slack or email. Um, It's been great. And Pernay Mohan, thank you so much for joining me you have helped me on this journey more than i could have imagined i uh i would not have been able to maintain my sanity and um produce the level of product that we do without your help so uh i'm just overjoyed to have you as uh my partner in this endeavor
1: awesome thanks jeff and uh the feeling is mutual and i'm really excited to see what happens